back to Inside the Mind of a Fanboy podcast, and yes, it's been a while. Uh, I'd like to say I have a good excuse for why I've been away for so long. Uh, I don't. I'm just very lazy. But at least I'm recording an episode now. I think I might as well start with the Arsenal game. Uh, yeah, not a great game to come back with, uh, losing 1-0 at home to Arsenal, a team that has now done the double over us. This is the worst Arsenal team well, in nearly forever, and we've somehow let them get six points against us, and it's probably the worst we've ugly played under Tuchel, and that's including the West Brom game, which is not a pretty good way to prepare for an FA Cup final, and then a Champions League final coming up. But going into the game, I'll talk about the goal that Arsenal scored, the Jorginho and possibly Kepa mistake. And my opinion on it was that it was pretty much mostly a Jorginho mistake. As people were saying Zuma should have been better positioned, and if maybe Rudiger was there, then uh, there would have been a different outcome. And I probably agree with them, but I still think Jorginho has to look before he makes the pass there, or even give some sort of call to Kepa before he plays a back pass that's going into his own net. And I actually think Kepa makes, does really well to make the recovery to be able to clear off the line. It's actually a decent save. And he probably would have been sent off as it was a back pass if Arsenal hadn't have scored. Uh, but that mistake kind of summed up how we played yesterday. We were our worst enemies. Arsenal were good at defensively, but we didn't finish well. We didn't defend that well. Um, but although we didn't really have to defend against anything, Arsenal kind of just parked the bus for the whole 90 minutes. And I don't blame them, you know, when mid-table sides like Arsenal play Champions League finals like Chelsea, they're going to have to park the bus, but Chelsea were the reason why they lost uh, everyone just felt off Jorginho for example who was the main culprit for the Arsenal goal, had has played really well under Tuchel so far since he's come in uh, and you know the mistake wasn't the only bad thing he did in that game every time he got the ball, unlike usual with Jorginho, I was worrying if he was going to give it away going to make an error or do something crap to cost the team again. However, I still think Chelsea should play him in the final because, like I said, he's been great so far in a Tukun. One game shouldn't really be the deciding factor for Jorginho's place in both finals because he deserves to be in them because he's been a major player in getting us there. But the game also showed that Chelsea uh, missed players that at the start of the season wouldn't even make the bench. Rudiger, for example, who at the start of the season was public enemy number one for Chelsea fans. But now, I'd argue that he's our most important centre-back, maybe just behind Thiago Silva. Uh, if you look at where we played with Rudiger in the team and then without Rudiger in the team since Tuchel's come in, you'd see that we are much better, not just defensively, but also going forward, because what Rudiger provides is a really good passing range uh, against Real Madrid in the first leg. He played... a beautiful ball over the top to Christian Pulisic to get us the first goal, an important away goal. But I think what we saw from Zuma was why we miss Rüdiger so much, not just like I said long range, but also when it comes to Rüdiger's short passing, he's just way more composed on the ball and is able to link up much better with midfielders than someone like Kurt Zuma is, for example. And Kurt Zuma is a good defender against Man City in the weekend, he made a great tackle to stop Man City from scoring, but 
Rudiger in a 3-back is able to provide more assurance when pursing out the back because I also thought uh, pursing out the back was slightly sloppy yesterday and because of that we allowed Arsenal to be able to stay in their shape. We couldn't really build up chances quick enough to force them out of their very defensive shape. Also, we missed Kante a lot yesterday. I think the energy that Kante brings to the Chelsea team was lacking against Arsenal. We look very slow and sluggish and Kante, while he's not the best on the ball, he's someone that will always bring pace and energy in that midfield where Jorginho and Gilmore, we kind of lacked being able to, like I said earlier, being able to break Arsenal's shape. We lacked the pace to be able to do that and the speed on the ball to do that. And speaking of speed, I actually also thought we missed Timo Werner, who I've said before on the first episode I did worry about his form and I still do but what Werner is able to provide when he's not always providing goals and assists he provides someone that will bring some sort of threat you know defenders are going to be wary that he can run past them over over the top balls and other things like that may put them slightly on edge where they're not going to be able to just sit back and just wait for the attackers to come at them like they were able to do with the front three last night. While I thought Chelsea were terrible yesterday, I also thought the refereeing was also terrible. I possibly think Chelsea should have had three penalties last night. There was a Rob Holding handball, and then there was two challenges on Havertz in the box where he's basically been sandwiched for one, and then the other challenge was the exact same as the one that Gilmore gave away against Man City. And while the rub holding handball was a lot more debatable as handballs have been this season, the other two, in my opinion, were sewing wall penalties. You know, you see those penalties given all the time in the Premier League, and it cost Chelsea the game. Obviously, like I said, Chelsea probably deserved to lose with the way we played, but refereeing instances like that change matches. And it kind of goes to a broader conversation about refereeing in the Premier League. Because we call the Premier League the best league in the world, yet the refereeing in it is probably the worst you'd see in the world. And it makes me wonder, what was the point of bringing in VAR when the people that use it don't know how to ref football games? The main issue with VAR isn't the fact that, you know, it takes too long to do stuff, or that the decisions made by VAR are wrong because of the lines for offsides. But the issue is, is the fact that the people using them don't know how to use VAR properly. You see referees take five seconds to look at a red card instant for some teams and then for others they take five minutes and the consistency that you get with these decisions are consistently inconsistent. Like I said with the Betty Gilmore thing and the Gabrielle tackle, both tackles are pretty much the exact same, one's given, one's not, in the space of about three days three, four days, and when we spend so much time and bring in technology like VAR, but it's not utilised properly, there's no reason for keeping it in the game, and it only makes games longer, and it takes the fun out of football. I mean, when Pulisic scored last night, obviously it was miles offside, but I didn't move because I knew that it was going to be disallowed, and even in the semi-final of the Champions League, when uh, Werner scored the his header, I didn't celebrate until 
the goal was fully given because I knew that VAR would probably have a look at it and somehow disallow it. And that's taking the passion out of football. And the main thing in football is the fans and their passion. And VAR can kill that. But the thing is, is that corporations don't care about the fans and passion. That's why VAR was brought in. It was brought in to guarantee results. It was brought in to guarantee bigger teams getting results against smaller teams. It was made sure that referees wouldn't make errors because those errors would cost billionaires loads of money. And football scandals like the Super League show that these corporations clearly don't care at all about the fans. And all they care about is getting money in their back pocket. But I'm not going to make this entire podcast just about the money in football, because I could do that for another time. But going back to Chelsea, how does this result affect our chances of top four? Well, pretty much not a good result for our top four. Luckily, Leicester lost against West Brom, but they beat a very weakened Man United team. So that means they're now two points ahead of us with the same amount of games played. But we also need to worry about the teams that are trailing us, like Liverpool and West Ham. And Liverpool play tonight, or tonight when I'm recording this. However, after seeing what Man United fans are doing uh, to Liverpool's coach, that game's probably going to be delayed, and hopefully it's not postponed again. But we can hope that Liverpool lose that game. And then all Chelsea need to do is beat Leicester in the Premier League next week, and we should be safe for top four. But I would have preferred it if we can get top four done before that Aston Villa game so that we can rest players for the Champions League final. Talking about finals, uh, this Saturday coming up we have Leicester in the FA Cup final, which I was very confident before the Arsenal game, but after the Arsenal game I am now a lot less confident. Leicester haven't been in great form, they did beat a weakened Man United side, but since then they haven't been as good as they were mid-season and they're doing what it seems like Brendan Rodgers typically does with his teams and kind of fall off near the end of the season and we can hope that Leicester continue that falling off form against us. I think Chelsea will play a different team to the team that played against Arsenal. I think our formation will stay the same and I think Kepa will retain his number one spot for now as he's the cup goalkeeper and I think the game against Arsenal was a warm-up game. Actually, Tuchel himself confirmed that the Arsenal game was used as a warm-up for the FA Cup final. Um, I think our back three will be Rüdiger, Thiago Silva and Aspi. I think Zuma will lose his place in the team and Christensen is most likely still going to be injured for the game. Uh, I think Chilwell will keep his spot as well. He didn't play that well against Arsenal, but no one really did. And Alonso did score against Man City on the weekend, but I have much more trust in Chilwell than I do Alonso. Rhys James, I think, will also start. Maybe Aspie would have started at right wing back if Christensen was fit, as he started Aspie three games in a row, I think, against Real Madrid, West Ham, and then Real Madrid again in three very important games. But I'm be happy, I'd be happy to see Rhys James start because I think that he provides a lot to our attack and creativity going down the right, putting good crosses in. We didn't see much of it against Arsenal, but like I said, no one was really good against Arsenal, to be honest. I think in the midfield, it will be Kante and Jorginho. 
I don't really think Bigger Gilmore deserves to get dropped, but you can't not play Ingolo Kante in a final, and Jorginho arguably could be dropped, but like I said earlier in the, in the podcast, one game shouldn't go against three months of very consistent good form. And the front three is probably the hardest to decide. I do think that Mount will play, Mount should play, you know, Mount's been our player of the season. I don't think that's a controversial statement to make. And he definitely deserves to start in the FA Cup final. I think that Werner will also play. Uh, Tuchel, I think, values Werner's pace. I just hope that if he does play, he can be clinical. Because in games like an FA Cup final, teams need to be clinical. It'll be interesting to see who Tuchel picks as the other attacker. Because all of our other attackers bring very good and different qualities. Ziyech can always provide a brilliant left foot. Pulisic can provide great dribbling. And Havertz, at times, can be a perfect false nine. But I think that Tuchel will go with Ziyech, as he scored a very important goal against Man City in the FA Cup semi-final. And I believe that this Chelsea team is good enough on paper to beat Leicester in the FA Cup final. But I also hope that the Arsenal game gave Chelsea a wake-up call and so we won't be complacent and we'll take this game professionally and seriously which we should have anyway because it's an FA Cup final but also talking about the FA Cup final Chelsea have released their new kit and will be playing in that new kit in the FA Cup final and what do I think of that kit? well, I'm not a fashion expert however, I do hope that Chelsea cut ties with Nike to be honest it's not the worst kit I've ever seen in my life but it's definitely not the best Chelsea kit the patterns don't really make any sense at least with the 1920 kit it looked weird but you know the pattern was based off Stamford Stamford Bridge but this kit they said it was based off the 60s and I'm guessing they used all the drugs they could find from the 60s to design this kit there's about three different designs all on the same shirt that don't merge into each other or don't work with each other at all there's a weird bit of yellow and you know I'm complaining now but I'll probably buy the kit because it's Chelsea um, which means Nike could release a white Chelsea kit with a piece of shit on it and I would still buy it for 60 quid because that's the stupid Chelsea fan I am but going back into talking about the FA Cup final game uh, my score prediction for the match well I said I was in no way near confident for this game however I still think or I hope that we win that we'll win I'll say that we'll win 2-1 and I think it'll be goals from Timo Werner uh, and I think Hakim Ziyech will score and then I think someone like Tielans will bag one for Leicester to make it a nervy last 10 minutes and knowing Chelsea the season and how hard they make it for themselves I wouldn't be surprised if that happens but moving on and uh, I'll move on from Chelsea so to all the people that want to watch this just for the football parts that is pretty much over now so you can stop listening if you don't want to listen to me ramble about a TV show like I watched since my last podcast episode I watched this super uh, superhero animated show called Invincible and if you haven't heard about it it's not your typical superhero story it starts off like that where you have this 17 year old kid in a family where his dad is pretty much Superman 
uh, and all of a sudden he discovers that he has powers too. And a quick warning, I'm most likely going to go into spoilers, so if you do want to watch Invincible, I would recommend not listening to the rest of this. But yeah, so you start off with this normal kid who finds out his superpowers, and the episode seems like it's just going to be him and his dad trying to... Well, his dad trying to teach him to use his super superpowers. And then, at the end of the episode, his dad brutally murders the entirety of this off-brand Justice League. Uh, and this show is not for kids. It may seem like it is, it's animated, but it's definitely not for kids. You see brains, you see lots and lots and lots of blood. It's one of the goriest things I've seen. You know, you have loads of people that compare it to the boys. And while it's not similar to the boys when it comes to, like, how heavy it is, it is very brutal. Um, so I wouldn't recommend watching this with a 10-year-old at all. But, yeah, so it then goes on from that, trying to figure out why the dad killed this off-brand Justice League. While the son, who doesn't know about this, is learning how to be a superhero and the downsides as well as the goods of being a superhero. But I won't talk about the story anymore because I will bore everyone listening. Uh, so instead, I'll just give my review on it and what I thought. And this is one of the best pieces of TV that I've ever seen. It, you know, it's the animation in some parts is a bit dodgy because of the low budget. But the animation for the fight scenes is incredible. You know, it's the, some of the best stuff you'll ever see. And not just the animation, but also the writing is very, very good in the show. And it needed to be because it's a show. Well, the, the, it comes. It's originally from the current comics, Invincible. But it's pr basically taking the tropes of a normal superhero movie or story and it deconstructs that uh, and goes against those normal tropes. Like you see civilians who in normal movies and TVs about superheroes, you maybe see a building fall over and you're like, okay, fine, they probably died, but you don't see it on the screen because it's a superhero m movie. But in this, you see them actually get shot and die and you see the superhero having to deal with the consequences of accident, as accidentally killing someone in his arms while trying to save them. And stuff like that which makes this show so unique and so interesting for me because I'm someone who likes loads of superhero movies and TV but even someone like me will get bored of the whole superhero genre being milked by the media and having something like this is a breath of fresh air. The characters are really interesting as well. I mean, you have people like Omni-Man, who is the, the, the dad, who is like an off-brand Superman, but he's kind of meant to be. And it's not like Homelander where it's like Superman in real life, in the real world, but it's more of Superman and how dangerous he could be if he was crazy. And what makes Omni-Man even better is how brilliantly voice acted he is by J.K. Simmons, who makes Omni-Man extremely threatening and unpredictable. So every time you see Omni-Man on the screen, 
you wonder what's going to happen next and you worry for the welfare of everyone else in the room with him because anything could happen at any time with him. And I said the budget was low and the animation for it was a bit poor at times but I think that's because a lot of the budget went into the voice acting and the quality of voice acting is extremely good. The characters work so much better, not just obviously because of the writing, but because of the performance that the voice actors bring. Stephen Yeun, who is the voice actor for Invincible, portrays perfectly the voice uh, of a 17-year-old who is both excited for having superpowers, but also is scared and nervous when things don't always go his way. And the quality of the voice acting reflects on the quality of the show. It's not 100% perfect, like anything, there's some flaws and tiny issues, like the character of Amber, who is the love interest for Invincible, is quite inconsistent and can be actually quite annoying. But I think that's a minor detail in what such a great show this is. And even after hearing me spoil some of it, you still want to watch it, I would 100% recommend it. And if you're put off possibly by the animation, don't be. Because the dialogue and the action that you get is worth it. But just to summarise, I really enjoyed this first season of Invincible and I can't wait for the second and third seasons of Invincible. And if you haven't watched it yet, you should watch it. Even if you don't like superhero stuff that much, I still think that you'll enjoy it. But anyway, uh, if you're still here, thanks for listening to me ramble about random crap I like for 23 minutes. And I will try and be more consistent with how many of these podcast episodes I do. Because I know that it's not a good podcast if one episode comes out every four months. I want to try and eventually make this something that comes out every week, but sometimes, like I said, I can just be lazy, but also, you know, I, I sometimes don't really know what I could talk about for 20 odd minutes, but I do want to record and release more episodes because I do enjoy doing this. It's just always struggling to get around to actually doing it is the issue but I will promise I become a lot more disciplined and I'll try and maybe release one podcast every two weeks but don't be surprised if it ends up being just random dates that I release random episodes so with that being said this has been Inside the Mind of a Fanboy I've been Max Watkins and I'll see you when I see you